You sound like you're doing well. Are you doing well? If you're not doing well, you're in the right place. So we're glad that you're here. Hey, my name is Isaac, and uh, I'm excited to be able to uh, bring a message to you. I feel like the Lord put on my heart. Go ahead. If you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 2, if you can. Luke chapter 2. This is the infamous Christmas story, or a portion of it at least, that we're going to be reading today together, and uh, we're going to begin in verse 8. If you don't have a Bible, it will be up on the screens here. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump in, all right? It says this, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, for you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into, the, into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had, marveled, when they, uh, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at the things which, they, which, were, which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all of the things that they had heard and seen. This weekend, we're talking about fear. As we jump into this next week, where we hyper-focus on the message and the revelation that is the Christmas story, that God has, the only one who stepped down from heaven to walk and to dwell among us, this God with us, as we hyper-focus on his nature and his character related to his presence with us over this Christmas season, it's important that we understand that that one of the key themes of this Christmas story that we often don't talk about nor like to talk about or address is fear. The angel of the Lord coming to the shepherds in the middle of the fields and immediately says, do not be afraid. Title of the message today is this, you can't afford this. You can't afford this. Let's pray and then we'll jump in. God, I thank you for your presence. God, we stand in awe that you are in fact here with us even now. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would invade this time as you have already. That you would make it abundantly clear exactly why you have us here right now this weekend. I pray you would speak to us. God, I pray our hearts would be opened, our ears would be open to hear what you want us to hear. And Father, that we would leave a little bit more aware of your presence, your goodness, and your withness than we did when we came in, in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 You can't afford this. This being the fear 
that the enemy will tempt you to receive, to accept, and to ultimately submit your life to, to make decisions about. You remember when you were a kid and um, you thought you were getting away with something only to realize your parents knew about it the whole time or your teacher knew about it the whole time? Uh, I regret to inform you um, that this happened to me two months ago. Uh, I was on my way, uh, a precious couple in our, in our church, one of our young adults, uh, they were getting married uh, down in Tucson. And uh, I was on my way and uh, I, I was supposed to be there at a specific time and I was not gonna be there at that specific time. Uh, you ever like put an address, you like just think Tucson, that's like two hours away, right? And then you throw it in your phone, and you're like two hours, 45 minutes, great. I gotta make up about 47 minutes, you know, on this, on this trip. And so I'm, I'm driving down there and it's just me in the car, you know, so I feel a little bit more emboldened than I would if my wife was in the car with me. And I'm driving down there and this gray SUV pulls out in front of me on one of these like back roads. And I was like, that is not, that's not okay. That's not how you drive. And they pulled out in front of me in such a way that I'm like, this is obviously not a police officer because of how they pulled out in front of me. Sure enough, it very much was. <laughs> and um, they pulled out in front of me and for, I kid you not, about 20 minutes. I, I mean, I was so close to the back of this car, trying to like send, you know, I was praying for him is what I was doing, you know? <laughs> I was trying to lay hands on the car and pray while I was driving. And um, I was really close. And we got to a point where the, where the road opened up and we had two lanes and I like, quick sped around him and I, I did that look, you know, like, hey, I was praying for you for 20 minutes. You know, that look, that's the look that you all gave on your way to church today. Uh, I gave that look and immediately I turned the corner and he's staring right at me, full vest, you know, and just does one of these, like, and you can see, he just hits the button wherever it is, you know, lights and I'm like, oh, you got me, you got me. He pulls over, I pull over and he goes, hey, so, Obviously, you noticed that it was me after you pulled around. And he goes, hey, son, I was trying to give you the benefit of the doubt, benefit of the doubt for a long time. But when you pull around me like that and speed past, like, I definitely can't just, like, let that go. And I was like, I literally told him, I was like, yeah, you got me. You did. I apologize. And then I was like, I'm a pastor, you know. No, he goes, he goes, uh, where are you going so fast? Like, where are you trying to get to? And I said, honestly, I hate to tell you this, but I am a pastor. I'm trying to get to a wedding. He goes, are you doing the wedding? I said, praise God, no, but like still got to be there. And he goes, okay. He, he did leave, let me off with a warning. So I was super thankful. Uh, it was because of all the prayer that I was extending his way. But I, I, I realized I was not getting away with it. He knew I was there and was giving me the benefit of the doubt the entire time only to realize I was, I was caught, caught red-handed. I think as we, as we jump in today, I think one of the things that we need to understand is that so it is with fear in our life. You know, there, there is no such thing as suffering in silence when it comes to being bound by the spirit of fear. It's a lot more obvious to the people around you than you think. You think you're getting away with it, and one of the sad things as followers of Jesus is we have a tendency not just to hide our fear from the people that are closest to us, but we actually have a tendency of hiding our fear from the God who actually could 
free us from it. We find ourselves convincing ourselves and excusing this fear that we know we have. In fact, for me, it was years. It was years before I was faced with a situation where I had to come to grips with, I'm afraid. And sure enough, as I sat in a room with Preston and, and told him, and, and as I sat in a room with others, they're like, I know, it's known for a while. And I'm thankful and I'm gracious, that, or I'm thankful for the, for the graciousness of some of the people that God has strategically placed in my life, that they were there to, to, to walk, walk through this season with me. But, but I need you to know today, if you're struggling with fear or you're struggling with, with or you feel like just afraid at just random parts of, one, it's okay, you're not bad, you're not alone. Um, you are not weak because you deal with fear. Um, it is a lot more obvious to the people around you than you might think, but you don't have to live another day bound by fear. In fact, what I love about Luke chapter two is the angel of the Lord's assumption of fear of the shepherds. We just read it in Luke chapter two, but the angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds and, and, and scripture tells us that they were afraid, but the angel assumes that they are afraid. As if to say, I understand you're afraid. Why? Because you're human. Uh, you're, you're afraid, you're, you're scared right now, but I need you to, I need you to get this right now. You don't, you don't need to be. Do not, do not be afraid. I know that's your natural fleshly response to anything that is bigger than you, to moments that you don't understand, to periods of time where, uh, or circumstances that are, that are way above what you can comprehend, but choose this day to not fear. In fact, the angel of the Lord will actually show this, do this three other times. Luke will write three other moments in this Christmas story alone where he will initiate a conversation by first assuming fear and extending the choice to these people, you don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to hold on to this. You don't have to hold on to this fear that you have. Let's look at a couple of them. Luke chapter one and verse 12, the Bible says this. And when Zechariah saw him, Luke writing, Luke chapter one and Luke chapter two are two miraculous stories of births. Luke chapter one, what we're gonna read right now is the, is the miraculous birth of John the Baptist. Luke chapter two is the birth of, birth of Jesus. When Zechariah saw him, the angel of the Lord, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Let's look at another instance, Luke chapter one and verse 30. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Matthew chapter one and verse 20, another instance when the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph after Joseph finds out that Mary's in fact pregnant and he's like, we didn't, we didn't, you know, like we didn't, so I don't know how this is kind of, angel says, do not be afraid, Joseph. While he's thinking about these things, he's considering his options. He says, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter two, verse nine, as we just read, we'll read it again. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. 
The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. Write this down if you're taking notes today. What is fear? Fear is the expectation or assumption of danger. Fear is the natural fleshly response we have to circumstances that we face, assuming that everything is going to go wrong. Assuming that there is no good outcome that could possibly come from what I'm facing. That there's nothing good of this. It's the expectation or the assumption of danger. But here's what you have to understand. Will you experience fear in this life? Absolutely. But mark my words, you do not have to choose to hold on to it. You can let it go. And this is exactly what the angel of the Lord is revealing to us in these passages and in the beginning of this Christmas story that fear is both an emotion and what we'll see is fear is a spirit. But ultimately, it's a choice whether or not we're gonna hold on to it. Whether or not we're gonna allow it to affect our life in a significant way to stick around any longer than it should and whether or not we will ultimately submit to it. Second Timothy chapter one tells us though about fear that we must understand as followers of Jesus that God is not the one who has given us this spirit of fear. This is not in fact from God. That anytime you are tempted to fear a situation or a circumstance that you are faced with, you can immediately like conclude this is not God. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. As we talk about fear, it's important that we see the heart of God for you and I as it relates to fear through this Christmas story. God's heart is this, don't fear. I know it seems like culturally you have every right to be afraid. But this is not, we're not of this world. This is not how I desire for you to live. Choose this day not to be afraid. And as we talk about fear, here's what I'm not concerned with any longer in my life. I don't care at all what this world says we should do with fear. And my job, just so you understand, my role today is to beg of you to leave here today understanding I cannot afford for this in my life any longer. I have to get rid of this. I'm not concerned with what the world says about fear anymore. A world that every year adds hundreds of phobias to a list to try to classify and qualify why I feel a certain way. I'm not concerned any longer with a world with what the world says about fear when it is actually the currency that this world seems to be run off of. That it seems like in the world that we live in today, if I can scare you, I can control you. You seen anything online before, whether it's social media or the news? It seems as though he who can scare the most is actually the best leader, so to speak but this is not how the kingdom functions and this is not what God has for you and I. We live in a world right now that glamorizes fear, that qualifies fear, where it has just become natural and okay for us to say, yeah, I'm scared of that. 
And I understand, again, get me, you're going to have flare-ups of fear, but it does not mean it has to stay any longer than it takes for you to acknowledge that it's there. We glamorize fear. We idolize fear even. Isaac, how can you even say we idolize it? Because it's what we stare at the most. What you stare at the most, you eventually submit to. And what I'm afraid of, what, 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 what actually does kind of scare me a little bit is when we look at the church right now, we have begun to normalize fear almost so much, whether it's the church or the world that we live in right now. But hear me, that which you tend to normalize the most is often the thing that's most destructive in your life. That which I feel like I need to excuse. Have you ever found yourself excusing why, you're, why it should be okay for you to be afraid of such thing? This is why when, when, we have, when we have young children that like, this is why when I was a kid, my dad just forced me on roller coasters so I would get over it, right? Now, I don't know if that was a, like a great like way to do that. <laughs> but like, he's just like, you're gonna do it because once you're strapped in, like, you know, and you're screaming and crying in the roller coaster and I've gone to counseling for this, so don't worry about it, but <laughs> you're screaming and crying and like, the attendant is looking at your dad like, hey, should we? And dad's like, I don't know him. I just, and then we, we're off, you know? My, my hope for you today is that today is a day that you stop excusing fear. And you stop allowing it to take up residence in your heart, residence in your life, and residence in your mind. It's time we stop playing nice with a spirit of fear. It's time. Fear is not your friend. In fact, look at what Jesus will actually prophesy about the end times and watch his heart. What, watch what he says about what fear will do to a man. Luke chapter 21 and verse 25, it says, and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations. With perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear. That is what fear does. That is fear's goal. For far too long we have played nice with a spirit that does not care at all about you. Doesn't care about your well-being. It does not care about your best interest. It does not care about your desires, your goals, your aspirations, or the calling that's on your life. It only cares about your destruction. And what stands out to me in Luke chapter two is that the angel of the Lord saw fit to first deal with the fear that the shepherds had before he brought the revelation of the witness of God to them. That in order for you and I to fully understand and grasp the magnitude and the greatness of God's witness in our life today, you first must deal with the fear that you have. And today, the goal is not to understand how the world sees fear, but rather to understand what does God think about fear? How does God feel about fear? First thing is this, is that fear is an attack on your ears. Fear is an attack on your ears. In Luke chapter two, 
before the angel of the Lord appears to the, to the shepherds and in every other revelatory account that we read in Luke chapter one and Luke chapter two, the angel of the Lord, before he brings instruction, before he brings the good news that Jesus is coming, that he is in fact here, that the one that you have been longing for is here. Before he can communicate that, he first must deal with the fear that exists. Why? Because fear will get in the way of your ability to hear. You have to understand this. Uh, Romans chapter 10 is gonna show us something. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Um, it's, it's gonna show us something very specific about why hearing is so important to the believer. And I want you to watch this and then I'll explain it. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says this. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Why is that important? Because faith and fear cannot take up residence in the same heart at the same time. That I am either submitted to faith, I am either living a life of faith, I am either, I am either allowing faith to make my decisions for me, or I have surrendered that right to the spirit of fear. And here's what you have to understand, the enemy does not have all power, that's why he talks so loudly at times. But you know who doesn't need to talk that loud? The one who actually has all power. You know what I found about? The people that are loudest are generally the most unsure about everything. The people that have to insert themselves into every conversation to make sure that their point is heard, that their point gets across, are generally not the people with the wisest advice. It's the one who will sit across the table from you and hear you out and say, I know hey, but let's not do that anymore. That's often the voice, the wisest judge. But, but fear will project, fear dominates. How many of you have ever had a rational conversation with the spirit of fear? None, no hands, great. It is irrational at its core. It does not concern itself with reality. And so it projects, it is loud, and misery loves company. And so you know what we do in, in fear? We, we love to find other people that, that would love to sit in fear and magnify it. Because what happens? The more I magnify fear, the, the louder that fear is in my life, the harder it is for me to hear the voice of my father. And it's actually by hearing that my faith is grown. It's by hearing that my faith continues to grow and, and, and just invade every part of my life. Faith or fear is an attack on your ears. What's, what's interesting about the kingdom of God is this, Hebrews chapter 11 says this, faith is a confidence in what we hope for and, and assurance about what we do not see. Um, many of you in this room have, have, have been walking with the Lord. Some of you in this room have been walking with the Lord much longer than me. Um, but one of the things that I've learned over the course of my life is this, that oftentimes I will hear it before I ever see it. I, I will hear something from God before I ever see the evidence of what he is doing. The shepherds had to make a decision. Will I listen to the voice 
of the angel of the Lord and then will I go and check it out and confirm that which I, am I willing to take the journey in order to see what they have told me? Or am I going to just listen to the voice of fear? And you know what fear causes you to do? Run. Fear's attempt is to make decisions for you. Fear's attempt is to actually be the thing that causes you to make decisions in your life, that fight or flight mechanism to kick in and, and to cause you to run and not pause. And listen, what, what I love about the shepherds is they paused. They said, you know what, do I, do I wanna hold on to this or not? No, it's not good for me. It wasn't good for me yesterday and it definitely will not be good for me today. But when you hear him, the word of God clearly, you will then see him clearly. If you're battling a spirit of fear right now, you need to understand fear is an attack on your ears. I tell this to, to, to our young adults all the time, but if you're having a hard time hearing God right now, one of the things that I would wonder is where, is where has fear maybe taken residence in your heart or in your life? And is it maybe causing you to hear not as clearly as you were before? Second thing you need to understand about the spirit of fear is that fear is a filter on your eyes. Fear is a filter on your eyes. Again, fear is the expectation and or the assumption of danger. Fear is a filter on your eyes. The angel of the Lord comes to the shepherds in the middle of the field, okay? And just consider this for a moment. They come to the shepherds in the middle of the field and immediately they're afraid. And the angels are, are, are faced with a decision. Am I going to Am I gonna walk by faith or am I gonna walk by fear? Am I gonna let fear make decisions for me or if I'm gonna let faith make decisions for me? And, and they, they are completely aware of where they are. And they now have a decision to make. How, how am I going to, am I gonna run from here? Is, is the fear that I have now, is, does that change? Like now I'm seeing everything through this lens of fear. Fear, act, fear loves to be the glasses that you look through for life that causes you to see what actually God's trying to do in your life right now through a completely different lens and run from it. Fear does not desire for you to obey the Lord. Fear doesn't desire that you do what God asks them to do. Fear doesn't desire that you even hear the instruction of what God has for you. It wants you to filter everything through it and then therefore make decisions based off that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says this, though. We don't, walk by, we don't walk by fear. We walk by faith. In fact, sight is not actually even how us as followers of Jesus navigate this world. That's not how we live. So not only does fear want to get you to lead, live your life led by what you see, but it wants to fabricate the evidence of what you see. You ever been to a 3D movie before? Okay, nobody, awesome, okay? Let me think of something else. Um, no, for real though, you've been to a 3D movie before? Okay, great, see, you're about to make, have me just wing an illustration off the top of my head. Um, you've been to a 3D movie before. It, they, they hand you these glasses when you go in, right? These glasses, they look dumb, but we all wear them anyways. And we, we put these glasses on our eyes, and what, what are those glasses designed to do? They're designed 
The, the movie is made in such a way that without the glasses, you don't really get the full experience. And so you put these glasses on your eyes and it causes everything to appear bigger than it actually is. It makes you feel like you're in the movie, it makes it feel like things are actually coming at you, that they're closer to you than they actually are. But have you ever taken off those glasses during the movie? I, I'm just telling you, I don't care how good Star Wars is. It does not, it is so underwhelming without those glasses on. Just a bunch of colors and they don't even look right, you know? So it is with fear in our life. Fear essentially are those 3D glasses that wants to convince you that things are bigger than they appear, that they're closer to you than they appear, that they're more dangerous than they appear to be, and that everything else in comparison to what, it, what you're seeing through these glasses is small. But you know what happens when you take fear off of your eyes, when you take the filter of fear off of your eyes, everything else actually finds its right place and you begin to realize everything is small in comparison to the greatness of my God. There is nothing that can actually come against me. It's not that close, it's not that big, that giant that seemed overwhelming, it's kinda just there now, it's underwhelming. Why? Because I've taken, the, I've removed the filter off of my eyes that is fabricating reality. Fear would love for you to make decisions that will affect the rest of your life and the lives of your family based on fabricated evidence of reality. But that's, that's not how we live. We, we walk by faith, not by sight. Psalm 23, actually, look at, look at the famous Psalm. Many of you know this one, Psalm 23, verse four. Consider this through the lens of this filter of fear. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. So just looking at that verse for a second, what is filtering the way that the psalmist is seeing the place that he is? Is it fear? It's God's witness. That's the only way you can make a statement like that is because you have, you have chosen to set down the filter of fear and say, this will not control the way that I see the world right now. This will not control the way that I see my kid's life. This will not control the way that I make decisions for my family any longer. This will not control any piece of my life anymore. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because God, I, I've chosen to run everything through the filter of if you're with me, then what could mere mortals do? to me. You cannot afford fear any longer. You cannot afford to let this stick around any longer. The last thing is this, fear is a thief. Fear is a thief. Fear does not have your in good intentions. Fear is not your friend. Fear does not have your best interest, no matter how much you wanna excuse it or qualify it, it does not care about you. 
fears a thief. Two things that fear attempts to steal from your life is this. Number one, relationships. Relationships. I won't go down this too crazy. We already talked about a fear is irrational and it doesn't, it doesn't like you hanging around rational people who will like pull you into reality, right? You ever had that conversation and spouse it? Like, I think, I think Audie's in here somewhere. Um, so I'll be careful how I say this, but um, you, ever, you ever have a conversation with your spouse and then they're like, I, I know, I just, want, I just want to say it this way, you know? Like they just, they, like you're trying to like help them like, hey, so like, it's not that big of a deal. Like it's this. And they're like, I know, but I just want to be upset. I want to be angry. I want to be, you know? Fear doesn't, fear doesn't enjoy rational conversations. And, and so it will cause you to actually, actually push away healthy, divine relationships God has brought into your life because he knows you better than you know yourself. And so fear will cause you to look other places. It will cause you to decide to, to seek other counsel. But watch this in Matthew chapter one, the angel of the Lord, we read this earlier, the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph. You have to understand, Joseph is legitimately considering what his best option is with Mary. They're engaged to be married. In many cases, they're culturally considered married already. And he's considering walking out on her because the fear is so overwhelming, it's causing him to think about all of these other things. And the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph in Matthew chapter one and says this, but while he thought about these things, while he was considering the fact that the person I'm engaged to is not pregnant and we didn't, and I don't know how this works and like, okay, God, like you said that, but like that doesn't make a lot of sense to me right now. So like, I need you to clarify this. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Fear almost got Joseph. Fear almost stole Mary from Joseph. This is what fear does. Fear will seek to take everything that is precious to you and ultimately hope that you submit the rest of your life to it as well. The second thing that fear attempts to steal from you is revelation. Revelation. Luke chapter two, verse nine. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Shepherds. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be to all people. Shepherds had a choice to make. Fear stuck around. Fear showed up. Fear flared up, as it does for all of us. Fear's desire is to rob you of the very revelation God intends to reveal to you. It wants to steal that. And when I read Luke chapter two, I cannot but conclude that the shepherds would have missed 
being the first witnesses to experience the greatest gift of all time, the thing that their heart truly longed for, if they had it allowed their flesh to make a decision for them and hold on to fear any longer. And you say, Isaac, how can you make such a matter of fact statement about that? Because of this, when has, when has your flesh ever made the right decision? I'll just tell you, I'll personalize it. My flesh has never wanted to do the right thing. And even in the moments when I feel like I'm doing the right thing, my flesh will find a way to make it more about me than it is about you. My flesh will find a way to, even in the good things that I do, somehow turn it around so that it benefits me. That is what our flesh longs to do. I can't help but conclude from Luke chapter two that if they would not have set down fear, as hard as that seems to be at times, trust me, I've been there, I know, as hard and as difficult as that seems, if they would not have set down, surrendered the fear that they were overwhelmed by at the foot of the cross, they would have missed out. They potentially would have missed out on being the first to witness the greatest revelation and gift of all time that God is with us, that he is in fact here, that today in a town of Bethlehem, he is here. Fear unchecked will compromise your ability to hear and to see what God desires to reveal to you. Which then begs the question, what do we do? So what do we do with this? Ephesians chapter five, verse eight says this, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live now as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather, watch this, expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. What does that mean? It means that the beginning of freedom as it relates to fear in our life starts with acknowledging that it exists and acknowledging that it's there. It's saying, hey, the reason fear's allowed to stick around so long is because so many of us have just excused it and allowed it to stay and thought, it's just that thing that I'm gonna have to deal with, but it's not really that big of a thing. But if all you get out of today is you leave realizing that fear's maybe much more of a big deal than I thought when I came in here, I did my job. Fear is not for you. And if we first won't acknowledge the fear that exists and subsequently lay it down, we miss experiencing all that God desires for you to experience.
Because when my flesh gets afraid, I don't pause. I don't lean in to hear what God has to say about my situation. Most often I run. Try to figure things out on my own. And before I know it, a cycle has been born. Fear's a big deal. As we close, I need you to understand today that the angel of the Lord comes to the shepherds and, and this is the promise that I, I need you to realize today is this, that, that he's here. And I need you to understand the magnitude of that revelation because there may be no greater revelation than the fact that he is and he is in fact here. Everything your heart longs for, he is here. He is. And the antidote for the fear that you experience today and any day hereafter is a greater revelation of his withness with you. That he is here. The angels of the Lord show up and proclaim today. Today in a town of Bethlehem, he who you have longed for has come. Today. When can you begin to experience freedom from fear? Today. Today. Now, will fear flare up again? Absolutely. But today you can leave with the realization that fear is a choice whether I want it to stick here or not. And really, it is one of the great choices that you and I will make every day. Will I walk by faith or will I walk by fear today? Many of you know Audie and I's story. A couple years ago, she ended up in the hospital for 11 days and very, very, very difficult and came out of nowhere and didn't understand what was going on and 2.30 in the morning, ambulance, the whole deal. I've told the story before. I don't need to go into it all right now, but it was, it was a very, very, very scary time. And it was, it was the moment when I realized this is not what I thought it was. This fear thing is much bigger than I've ever known it to be. But today I need to make a choice. God healed Audie and brought her home and actually came home on Valentine's Day. And thought I made it. Thought I conquered fear. Got through. Only to realize a year and a half later, fear would flare up again. Because my six-month-old would get rushed to the hospital. I'd take ambulance to a different hospital and all these tests and nobody really understanding what's going on. And had to spend a night in the hospital and I remember taking my four-year-old home. Talk about can you afford this or not? If you're a parent in the room, you can't. Like, it's gotta, you gotta stop today. You've gotta lay it at his feet today. You've gotta surrender it today. I remember taking Saray home. Her and I laying in a bed together late at night and she's crying and I'm crying and she's asking a lot of questions four at the time daddy why are they not coming home is Mila gonna be okay 
what's wrong? Some of the answers I had, a lot of them I didn't. But in that moment, laying in the bed with my four-year-old, I remember the Spirit of the Lord saying, Isaac, see? This is why I needed you to get this back then. This is why. This is why I couldn't afford for you to go another day believing this about fear. And I needed you. I needed you to see it differently a year and a half ago. Because there was going to be a moment. Back then, Saray was too. She didn't understand what was going on. She didn't understand how to ask questions. She didn't understand how to deduce what was going on. And, and she didn't even really understand. Like, she didn't recognize. And as soon as you came home, she was, like, ready to play. But she's four now, and she understands a little bit more. And I knew she was going to ask questions. And I needed you to have a different perspective about fear than you did then. And I laid in a bed and I took out this card. This card was the card that they gave me when Audie was in surgery and wrote a verse on there. And I remember laying down and telling Soraya, Soraya, this, it's gonna be okay. God took care of mom. God's gonna take care of Camila. They can't come home right now because God's healing them. One of the ways that God does that is at the hospital. And they're experts and they're gonna figure it out. They're gonna, they're gonna help her and they're gonna get her home as fast as possible. It's gonna be okay. And I prayed with her that night, and two days later she came home and it was it was great. But I remember that moment, God saying, This is why you cannot afford to let this go on any longer for today you can step into a greater revelation that he is in fact with you luke is writing to a man named theophilus his whole book in luke this is just the how cool god is and I'm going to pray and then we're going to close. But Luke is writing to a man named Theophilus. Luke being an educated man, a doctor, a man of great detail. will write in Luke chapter 1, he'll say, I saw fit based on what I had experienced and what I had seen. To pass on to you, O excellent Theophilus, everything that I have seen and heard, so that you, with ultimate certainty, can know and believe that which has been told to you. And he decides, after saying that bold of a claim, I'm going to start with two stories of great miracles of these births, but I am not leaving out the part where fear attempted to steal what God intended to reveal. We've been in a series all year called Friend of God. You know what Theophilus means? Friend of God. This is how cool God is. 
that he would say, you know what? I hate what fear does to my friends. I hate it. And Isaac, church, today, you must begin to hate what fear does to my friend, you also. You cannot afford this. So acknowledge it, invite others in, and ultimately allow me to reveal how close I really, truly am with you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Friends, it's time that we start hating fear the way that he does. We stop excusing it. We stop normalizing it. We stop acting like it's not that big of a deal. Today, we must understand that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but in fact, he's given us a spirit of the power of love and of a sound mind. And my prayer for you today is that you would choose to come hell or high water, no matter what comes. I will trust the Lord when I'm afraid. And that you'll find, as the psalmist says in Psalm 34, that as you sought the Lord, you found that he heard you. And that you would watch in awe as he delivers you from all of your fears. It is just as simple to have faith as it is to fear. Today I pray that you would choose to lay fear down and recognize his witness. God, I thank you for your presence today. Thank you for your kindness, your goodness. Most specifically, I thank you for your witness. God, I pray we would stand in awe every day at how close you really are. That we would, see, we would see fear the way that you do. We'd stop playing nice. That the second it flares up, we would not just run to you, but we would expose it to others as well. Knowing that community is one of the greatest gifts you've ever given us. Father, I pray today if there is anyone under the sound of my voice that is experiencing any measure of fear, that today you would reveal to them in an even greater measure how close you really are. That they would find freedom in your presence because today you are here and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. In Jesus' name.